Welcome to the 62nd episode of Throwback Hoops. Woody V is in the house. As always, please uh, follow the the video show on YouTube and wherever you listen to the, your podcast, you know, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, the audio version is available there. And as always, I'm joined by my main man, Robbie Clayton. What's up, bro? How's it going, Woods? Happy to be back for another week. I know we're both very excited about this episode, so let's get into it. Most deaf, most deaf. So we have a very special guest on the show today. From the humble streets of Sunbury, Victoria, to the big time, he first <laughs> rose to prominence on the basketball Jones before moving to work for NBA TV when they became the starters, and more recently, the No Dunks podcast. He's now traveling the world and playing basketball in some far and away lands, possibly wearing his flip-flops while doing so. You may know him as the international man of mystery, but I rem- remember him fondly as the Australian fact-checker. He has made us Australian basketball fans so proud with what he has achieved representing our country with pride and distinction. It is a very warm throwback hoops. Welcome to the man himself, Lee Ellis. Thanks very much for that introduction, guys. That's, uh, wow, that's, uh, there's definitely a few throwbacks in there. The, uh, <laughs> the fact checker, I mean, that's, uh, that's definitely going back a while now. Yeah, we've been big fans and following you for, for a long time, Lee. So it's, it's, it's an honor to have you on the show. So as we always do on throwback hoops, Lee, we like to wear a throwback jersey and tell a little story about it. And, and Robbie and me being huge Atlanta fans, um, uh, we know you're sitting there in Atlanta at the moment, right? Which is awesome, first of all. And secondly, you got a classic yeah. throwback jersey on. So why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, who you got and yeah, what well, that player means? People, people might think it's Atlanta because of the red and white, but it's actually Kim Elijah one. Uh, the reason I rock this one is because, I mean, Michael Jordan, if you grew up in the 80s and 90s, it's hard for Michael Jordan to not be your favourite player of all time. For sure. But my second favourite is Akeem Olajuwon. Uh, I just absolutely uh, loved watching him. I mean, the pe- people who have known me for a long time, and you guys probably know this, you know, the very first game I ever saw was the 87 All-Star game. Akeem Olajuwon started in that game. That was when he was still Akeem. He didn't change or yep. correct the spelling of his name to Hakeem until 1991. Um And I just love something about the way that he played both ends of the floor, offensively, defensively. He's incredible. And I was so happy when he won his back-to-back championships there in 94, 95 with the Rockets because, you know, he came into the league and uh, there was a lot, you know, he's obviously drafted before Michael and so was Sam Bowie, but uh, he was actually, no one, no one makes fun of the Houston Rockets for taking Akeem Olajuwon because he was, uh, you know, he he turned out in the end uh, for them really, really well. And, He's just a guy who I uh, I just admired so much, and I loved him. I used to try to play defense like him when I was out there playing basketball. I used to scout him and watch him. And so for me, uh, Akeem, the dream, is is my number two sort of all-time favorite player. So uh, that's why I loved it. And I also love these jerseys, actually, these Rockets jerseys. I mean, these are their ones nice from colors. the mid-'80s. Yep. Uh, the second game of basketball I ever saw was 1986 Western Conference Finals, Game 5, the Lakers and the Rockets. Keem gets into a fight. He beats up Mitch Kupchak in that game. He gets yeah. ejected. Yeah. Uh, but then the Rockets win on the Ralph Sampson sort of buzzer beater there at the Great Western Forum. So I think, you know, I think sometimes your very first memory can really impact who your favourite player is. You just sort of fall in love with the guy straight away. Like, I love that guy. He's my favourite. But, you know, ultimately, Akeem has gone on to become, you know, probably still to this point the best international player of all time. But I think when it's all said and done, Giannis is probably going to have more accolades than him, but uh, but Akeem will always be number number two in my heart after Michael. Well, the game has changed a lot with the big man, and and you know you talk about some of those guys from the eighties and nineties whose games 
may not have necessarily translated today, but someone like Hakeem, his game would have definitely, you know, translated in today's game. So um, awesome to see you wearing that, Lee, and uh, yeah, it's no, definitely a, a great throwback. Well, there's no doubt Hakeem would have been fine in any era because yep. he had such soft touch on the offensive end, and then defensively he was just a monster. I mean, that that's the thing about him, the blocks, the steals, the rebounds on one end. And then on the other, you know, that the dream shake, the baseline moves there. He was able to finish inside, shot a good percentage. He could spread the floor. He'd probably be knocking down a couple of threes a game too, sure. in this uh, yeah. in this day and age. So uh, there are some guys' games, unquestionably, they would cross uh, generations and eras, and uh, Akeem is one of those guys. Agree, agree. Well, thanks, Lee. Now, Robbie, I know you're paying an ode to, to Lee today with that jersey you got on, so why don't you tell the audience a little bit about... Uh, the shirt you got behind you and the jersey you're wearing today. Definitely, yeah. So, look, well, obviously the regular viewers of the show will know that I always show two jerseys trying to get through this vast collection I've got. So, instead of showing a second one, the one I'm hanging up now is actually a little bit of a tribute to uh, Lee there. It's um, a very <laughs> solid shirt from the starters <laughs> days. Um, I actually noticed when I hung it up there today, got a lot of uh, usage out of that. It's actually got a very solid stain at the top corner of it, so I probably need to get that into into the wash again there. But yeah, liking that shirt. And I was just saying to Lee before we went online, I actually ordered a, a Basketball Jones jersey. I think it was back in 2012 or 13. And unfortunately, it didn't come. Um, actually ordered one for myself and um, our good mate, Dave Burke, who I know Lee's obviously um, been in touch with him and they've got a good relationship now. So shout out to Dave. Um, yeah, uh, it didn't Dave. sort of turn up that one. So I would have loved to have had the Basketball Jones one up there as well to sort of show how long I've been, you know, been watching Lee and the gang there, but no, I thought that one would do anyway. But, yeah. <laughs> I, um, I like the stains. I like the nice. stains. They're battle, they're battle wounds, you know, after exactly a, right. a lot of years of wearing them, you know. <laughs> nice. Well, look, in terms of the jersey I'm wearing, I'll just quickly stand up and show this one. I must have worn it's a little bit tight, but look, I'll just quickly show it anyway. So for all our audio listeners that can't see, Robbie is wearing the classic champion, not Lee Ellis, but Lafonso yeah. Ellis yeah. Nuggets jersey. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, awesome. well... <clears throat> There's been a few Ellis's uh, in the NBA throughout the years. Monte, of course, uh, probably the most famous, I suppose. Uh, Dale Ellis? Yeah. Oh, yeah, Before we go into that, I actually yeah. had that written down as well, Lee. So I, from my calculations, oh. there's been 10 Ellis's that have played in wow. the NBA. So obviously, LaFonso, Dale and Monte, any others that yeah. sort of come to mind? Well, Laron, there was a Laron Ellis. Yeah. Laron, Because yeah. I remember him, he was the closest to getting a Lee Ellis in the league uh, <laughs> that, that I could think of. So yeah. Laron, Monte, Dale... Lafonso. Um, we got Mike hmm. Ellis at the Perth Wildcats. <laughs> Mike Ellis, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's only one more well-known name one, to yeah. be honest. There's a lot of them are sort of said. So the other one is um, Harold Ellis. You probably oh, yeah, right okay, yeah. yeah, but some other ones. There's there's a Joe Ellis. There's a Boo Ellis. There's a, and they're all some guys that played in the 60s. <laughs> well, I've been booed a few times. So, uh... <laughs> nice, you could be Boo Ellis. <laughs> Apparently, there's one yeah. for Sacramento now, Keon Ellis. Right. Oh, okay. I'm familiar with his work. He's played a few games this season, apparently. So right, anyway, right, yeah. right. So we'll just a little bit about Lafonso Ellis there. So um, Lee's namesake was drafted out of Notre Dame by the Nuggets at pick five in '92. Uh, went on to have a very solid 11-year NBA career, which was actually cut short by injuries. Um, he ended up spending time with the Nuggets, um, with our Hawks, the T Wolves, and Heat. Um, he was one of those rare players that was never traded in his career, which was pretty interesting oh. as well. So, um, looking wow. accolades, uh, NBA or rookie team in 93, and arguably having the greatest block shot in yeah. NBA history, which I'm sure you'll both really remember there, yeah. when he caught little-known T-Wolves player Brian Davis, um, caught the ball off the block, which, of course, led to Dikembe doing the no, no, no to Davis. Um, funny, I always thought that was Tyrone Corbin before I actually looked into that more, and it's actually Brian yeah. Davis, who I don't really remember too much at all playing there. So, um, look, Ellis is now you know 52. He's been a college basketball analyst with ESPN for the last 13 years. Um, yeah. What do you remember about Fonts there, Lou? 
Well, honestly, yeah, he was the Fonz uh, and he had that great <laughs> block. And I think those are the two uh, biggest memories. Uh, and I do know, yeah, over the last few years, I've just seen him. He's been a lot more active on the college scene. So, uh, yeah. you know, de- de- decent player, um, never an all-star or anything like that. Um, but, you know, I think the name is one of those ones you remembered because of Lafonso. It's a pretty cool name to have. Um, and then, of course, of course, that block. I mean, people always reference that with him. And, he, you know, it's an, it's an incredible block because he cups it sort of after the guy Davis goes up there. You're right. That's a great trivia question. Who's that block on? I don't know. I can't remember who I thought it was, but um, but I didn't remember it being Brian Davis anyway. So mm. one of those things, guy comes up. And, and, and for me as a kid, watching NBA action and stuff like that in Australia, yeah. I don't know exactly. I can't remember exactly what season it was. I'm guessing 93, 94, 93, somewhere around there. Yeah. 93, yeah. So, you know, we would have all seen that, all of us kids who loved NBA action on the Saturday morning there. For sure, um, and it was, you know, with Jim Fagan's voice there, <laughs> you know, it was it was just awesome. So those are really, really fond memories for me because we couldn't get – there was obviously no internet. There was no cable TV back then in the 90s. And so, you know, our, our access to the NBA was through – NBA action, inside stuff. And then um, obviously the Friday night with Peter G and John Bell for the first couple of years. And then it moved to Channel 10 with, yep. um, I think it was Bill Woods. Uh, it was, if Bill I Woods. Remember correct- yeah. yeah. Steve Buffino um, maybe as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then and then they added, a, you know, they added a few more bits and pieces over the years. But NBA action for me, like I take every single one. I used to love it. You know, watch it. And and obviously the games as well. But the, uh, you know, with NBA action and inside stuff, it just gave us a little bit more access rather than just the game. So, uh, did you used yeah, to sit there as well, Lee, and like pause when the ads came on and then press record back on the VCR when it came on? I used to do all that stuff course. and do the editing job. Of course, yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you do some editing on the I, I remember one Saturday morning, it was on at six o'clock, uh, and my alarm didn't go off and I missed the first 15 minutes, and I didn't set the tape up to record in advance. Ah, my mum and dad saw the filthiest 15-year-old that day. Just, I just was so angry at myself for not waking up and not, uh, you know, missing out on it. I thought, I'll never get that back, because that's the thing. I, I, I think in the later years, they did replay NBA action, like at 5.30 in the afternoon or something like that. But those first couple of seasons, if you missed it at 6 in the morning, that was it. No chance to get it back. So, uh <laughs> Yeah, it's it's hilarious now when you think about how you had to record things yep. on video and at various times you had to sort of make a hard decision. Okay, do I, you know, do I tape over this, whatever the game or the video or whatever it was, because I need to get this new one on here. And so, uh, God, man, kids kids will never go through such a uh, difficult uh, Sophie's choice like that where you're like, <laughs> what do I do here? What do I do? Do I miss out on the new one or do I just have to sacrifice one of the old? <laughs> Definitely. We grew up in a different time, man. You know what I mean? Oh, I know. I know. I know. <laughs> Wild. Why don't you show us what you got there, Woods? I think it's oh, probably yeah. a more random one that I'm wearing, to be for honest. For sure, for sure. Yeah. So Woody's standing up wearing the old school number 24, Minnesota yeah. Timberwolves. Pooh. Jerome Pooh Richardson jersey. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a ah, yeah. random one, that one. I mean, I actually love that uh, design of that shirt. I, yeah. I think it's yeah. a really, really nice one. The Wolves have had some pretty good ones over the years, but that – Looks like it was one of their newer, uh, the earlier ones. Is that right? I I don't remember exactly what season, but uh, that is correct. Actually, it, it is a yeah. 1990 jersey, right? So yeah. Um, look, just a bit about Pooh Richardson. He played t- played 10 seasons in the NBA. He was selected with the 10th pick of the 1989 NBA draft by the Minnesota Timberwolves. So the first draft pick in franchise history. And this jersey yeah. is from that 1990 season. 
He also played for the Indiana Pacers and Los Angeles Clippers. Um, he played college basketball for the Bruins. Um, his nickname came from his grandmother, who thought he resembled Winnie the Pooh. And coincidentally, in that 1990 season, he was a teammate of current Tasmania Jack Jumpers head coach, Scott Roth. So, wow. Yeah. Very good. Wow. So what, do you, what do you guys incredible. remember about Pooh? Uh, well, honestly, name. I mean, yeah, like, like <laughs> that's, you know, it's, it's the name, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you mm. know, Pooh Richardson, like everyone just loved saying, hey, Pooh, 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 you know, but, uh, <laughs> you know, giving the story, the, the context, I remember it because they said that often and a, a lot about being his grandma, a bit like Penny Hardaway's grandma called him Penny because yep, he was sure. shiny like a penny, you know, so uh, he wasn't smelly like a poo. He was more like, uh, he looked like <laughs> you know, poo there, so uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, you know, great guy. I actually remember him being highly touted out of UCLA and being yep. the first pick there for the Wolves. So, yep. yeah, decent career. I uh, don't think he was ever an all-star, though. And, no. um, yeah, it didn't quite sort of – I don't think he really quite lived up to the hype. No, but, uh, you know. He um, was actually drafted ahead of fellow point guards in that draft, Mookie Blaylock and Tim Hardaway as well. So yeah. probably didn't oh. quite live up to the careers of those two guys. Yeah, yeah. All rookie first-team selection. That's probably mm. the only accolade he earned, right? But, wow. You know, Ten years in the NBA, you, you're not going to complain, man. You know, so no. I mean, that's right. He still carved out a decent career, and uh, you know, I mean, that honestly, most players don't make it that far. So he he outlived certainly, uh, you know, the majority of NBA players anyway. And Lee, we've been collecting jerseys for a long time, Robbie and me, twenty years plus, right? And this yeah. is one jersey that he always wanted when I grabbed it. He's like, Dad, yeah, yeah. Man. You know, he, he's still jealous that I <laughs> got his jersey, one, man. That yeah. That's the real yeah. one, right? All right, yeah. Thank- Thanks, boys. Really enjoy uh, that today. So what we like to say, Lee, before we start things with our guests, you ready to chop it up? Of course. Let's do it. All right. All right. So let's start off here. Um, Now, I know we've we've heard about the 1987 All-Star tape you mentioned. (laughs) Doing the rounds around the hood, right? We know about, you know, your mate's dad working at Qantas, getting those newspapers, (laughs) all of that stuff, right? (laughs) we, We like to ask all our guests, right? Where did your passion for the game begin? And who are some of the guys and, and idols that you looked up to? And you both already mentioned that somewhat, but maybe you want to go into that a little bit more, right? Yeah, well, so I'm the third of three boys. Uh, and so I grew up, my two older brothers and my dad played basketball, mum played netball. So honestly, as early as I can remember, we would load up the car and we would go up to the local basketball stadium uh, and, and play. And then my older brothers started playing with dad as they got into their sort of early to mid-teen years. And so basketball kind of was just in my you know, in my face, I guess, from from uh, from what I can remember at the start. And I think what I liked about it was that, you know, cricket's obviously a summer game and Aussie rules football is a winter game, but basketball was kind of all year round. And there was a real social aspect to it, like not only just meeting friends of my own, but meeting my brother's friends and then family friends as well, because a lot of the time, especially in Sunbury where I grew up, pretty much everybody played at least a couple of seasons of basketball. So, you know, you just sort of knew everyone. It was a real social gathering. It was more than just one night a week. Friday nights was like the kids' night. Uh, Tuesdays and Wednesdays was adults' night, like the, the, the you know, seniors' night, I guess. And then Thursdays and Mondays, I think, was netball. So almost every other night, you were either going to the stadium to play or to watch or to be a part of something. And it just sort of, you know, it, like it was just so normal to me, like going, you know, just it was just an activity that we did and you'd always bump into people you knew and, and things like that. Yes. And then the 87 All-Star game came along and that, that really changed it because uh, at that point we knew about Dr. J and Larry Bird and Magic, but no one had seen, you know, certainly no one had seen regular games. 
And then all of a sudden to get that all-star game where it was the best of the best, the cream of the crop, and the way that that game played out, I think was significantly impactful because I've mentioned this story as well. I was I was 11 at the time, so I was a big WWF fan as well. You had Hulk Hogan and King Kong Bundy and, you know, uh, WrestleMania was on at the time. So everyone loved wrestling, all, especially all me and my friends. And then when basketball came along and you've got Sir Charles Barkley and Moses Malone and Akeem, the Dream Elijah one, those, those you, you could have intertwined those players with the wrestlers and it wouldn't have been any different. And then to see the fairy tale finish from Rolando Blackman in that game, yeah. that could have been fixed like any other wrestling match. So you're sort of like, oh my God, this is like the perfect scenario. But of course, then we didn't, we still didn't get regular NBA. So the, the, the best that we could watch was the NBL. And that was when Andrew Gaze was, you know, basically our Michael Jordan. He was out there scoring 35 on a team like the Tigers that weren't very good, but Gaze was so great. Um, and then, you know, there was big rivalries between the Melbourne Tigers and the North Melbourne Giants, the East Side Melbourne Spectres, the uh, what, the Saint, the South Melbourne Saints, I think they were. I can't yeah. remember. But, uh, you know, and, and the NBL was really, really fun to, to follow back then. And so I, I think, you know, it, it was just a, an evolution of like, basketball in my hometown and then even our local team the Sunbury Jets we used to, I used to go up and watch them play and it was like whoa man the Sunbury Jets we had DJ this guy David Johnson who went on to play for Bendigo legend in the uh, SEABL there um, and people will try to get his autograph and everything so basketball just it, honestly outside of sort of school basketball in so many forms was the biggest part of my life and uh, it formed so many social interactions I love playing and then eventually I got this NBA, uh, the uh, All-Star game. And then slowly but surely, as we were saying before there, a little bit more NBA trickled through. And it just uh, that combined as well with obviously Michael Jordan elevating the Bulls and basketball to just enormous levels uh, of interest around the world. And, you know, for, it doesn't matter who you're, you're the biggest fan of, if you're a LeBron fan or a Michael fan or a Magic or a Larry, Michael Jordan took the game of basketball and just it just exploded because he was as cool as anything. He was the best player. The Bulls were an awesome, you know, color of their, their, their uniforms, the team name. And then he goes out there and does what Magic and Larry couldn't do by winning that three-peat. And then he came back and did it again. So, you know, Michael Jordan, uh, for, for what basketball was. Now, there's some, you know, many other contributing factors along the way, like David Stern being the commissioner, I think, yeah. was... Very, very good. He was a fantastic businessman and a marketeer. But you you can't market unless you have that, just that that golden goose there, which was Michael Jordan. So, you know, as I as I sort of got through the 90s, it just basketball took off more and more, and I really wanted to try to incorporate it into my life somehow. I just didn't know how that was going to happen. Hey, Lee, Rolando Blackman, confidence, baby, confidence, right? I mean, you know, I think so many times about that as well where imagine Rolando misses one of those free throws, mm. you know, and then the game's over and they lose. And he, uh, well, he wasn't MVP, Tom Chambers was, but Moses Malone almost certainly would have been MVP for the East. He had a big game himself. I think he had 20, I think he had 29 and 17 or something like that. Um, but, you know, the, that's the thing with Rolando, like, expressing himself like that. Confidence, baby, confidence, you know, and knocks in the free throws and they go on to win. There was no time left, of course, at the moment. And what people criticise the NBA All-Star Game about, and it's been like this for 20 years. This is not new, but no one plays defence, no one cares. And it's true. I haven't really enjoyed, I guess the one in Chicago wasn't bad when they had that first Elam ending there. It was okay. But, they, they're, you know, they're trying to find ways to make it competitive. But that game in 87, when Rolando's driving in, 
four people from the East jump on him. And Isaiah Thomas, I mean, it was a flagrant foul by today's standard. He jumps on and just hits him across the head. But no one, no one wanted to fight or anything like that. They just understood if you're getting a bar, if you want to get a basket, you're going to have to earn it. And the, there was no way the East were letting him get an, an easy, uncontested layup or shot. Instead, it was like, get to the free throw line. And then when he gets to the free throw line, Isaiah's talking trash the whole time, trying to put him off. And so it was really competitive. It was really fun. But it was a really genuine game where guys were competing on both ends. In that game as well, Charles Barkley kind of throws elbows at Mark McGuire as well. So uh, I, I just feel that at that era of the NBA, that was, again, David Stern really understood how marketing the game, it was important to have a very, very good exhibition game because it's still, that's all it you know, essentially is. But it was the whole all-star weekend building up Michael Jordan in the dunk contest, Larry Bird winning the three-point contest. So you had the most marketable stars in the events and going out there to win them. That's obviously the biggest challenge they have right now is getting named guys to go in the dunk contest to try. Three-point contest, a little bit different. I mean, Steph's won it a couple of times, things like that. But honestly, when was the last time? I think it's 2016 where there was a, a decent dunk contest, Aaron, uh, Aaron Gordon and... And Zach Levine there, and mm-hmm. unless you're getting Ja Morant in it this year, and and you know Zion or whoever, I mean, if he's not injured, they're going to have the same problem. Last year's was one of the worst uh, All Star games I've ever or uh, dunk contests I've ever seen, and that's that's the biggest challenge now for the NBA is getting that level of excitement and interest uh, back into the weekend. Yeah, no, definitely. I was going to ask you that as well. You know, people used to care about the All-Star game back then, right? And it's just over the last 20 years, it's faded away. And um, you remember those times. And maybe we were talking, Robbie, offline. Maybe we go back to Western East and get that, you know, thing going as opposed to the schoolyard pick, you know, because that has tradition associated with it. So, Lee, next thing I wanted to jump onto actually was something you've already tackled, right? And um, you mentioned Andrew Gay, good friend of our show. He's been on this program before. And, um He'd be happy to, to hear, hear your voice on the show as well. I know you guys have got a relationship. Um, <laughs> who did you support growing up from the NBL? You obviously did follow it. You mentioned that. Did you have a team you went for? Was it the Tigers? Was it Copeland and Gaze? Or, I mean, Yeah, I, I didn't really have one strong connection uh, there. I mean, I, I enjoyed the Giants and the Tigers because there was a, a pretty yep. decent rivalry there with uh, Scott Fisher and uh, Tim Graham, I think his name was. Tim Dillon. Um, yeah. Paul Bailey, I think, maybe, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and Gaze, I mean, you know, like I say, we, we I remember Gaze from the 84 Olympics in Los Angeles. I think yep. he was only 20 years old then. And, yep. and you know, Australia were never really close, obviously, to competing for a medal. But it always felt as long as we had Gaze on the team, we could at yep. least, you know, compete because he had he, – he was kind of ahead of his time in that sense. He was He was able to shoot those threes and score and keep the scoreboard ticking over when we didn't have a ton of other guys – that were at that level anyway. I mean, you know, we had Larry Sengstock and, uh, yep. you know, a few other guys who were sort of, you know, veteran players, but they weren't quite um, at Andrew's level. And, and, of course, Gage, when he made the NBA, it was a great moment. That stuff with Seton Hall in 89, I mean, they, yep. they got robbed in the final there. They should have won the championship. I remember uh, watching that, that, that run there that Seton Hall went on, and it was so engulfing because it was like Andrew Gaze is not just sitting on the bench being a cheerleader. Like he lit up Duke in the semis there with 20 points uh, yeah. and, and was a, a key contributor. So that gave, I think, Australia a real sense of pride, like in America's game. Hey, one of the, one of the best players is one of us, you know, and 
when I say one of us, he really is just a regular guy, Andrew Gaze. I mean, I have spoken to him a few times and, you know, you can make fun of him and, and take yeah. the piss out of him, but he loves it because he's not, he's got no ego on him or, or anything like that. Um, but I think that's the other, the other thing is like having his dad as the coach there for the Melbourne Tigers. He was always very humble and is always very, um, you know, just, just a regular guy who was a, a fantastic basketball player. And so when the, when the Tigers won the championship there twice, 93, 97, I think it was. I think, again, everyone, it's it, it's rare that a lot of basketball fans, particularly in Australia, I think I don't think anyone was unhappy when Andrew Gaze finally broke through and won a championship. We, you know, it was great to see that. So, um, yeah, he, he, he was uh, he was an integral part of the Australian basketball culture in the in the late 80s and into the 90s there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he's still regarded as, you know, as our grandfather of uh of uh, yeah. basketball there. So, um, you know, him and Lennard had a, a fantastic relationship. and uh, They still do, they? Yeah, they do. That's right. Yeah. And, <laughs> and the other crazy thing is when I think about guys like Dave Simmons, yep. C. Selectum, uh, Dean Utoff, uh, Bruce Bolden, there's probably a couple of that I'm Lord forgetting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Great <laughs> example, yeah. Like when I think how I used to watch their dad or those guys in the NBL and now their sons have either played or are playing in the NBA – that's the craziest thing to me because so many of those players, I, you know, I thought they were good players, but their sons have gone on to sort of go back to the NBA. So as a kid, I watched them in Australia. Now as an adult, I'm watching their kids in America. It's a, it's a very weird sort of uh, switcheroo there. So, But I think that also just shows how basketball in Australia really is a good place to – you can be successful. You know, I think we've got good development there, good infrastructure. I think financially we're always going to struggle with – competing against Europe and Asia. Yeah. We just don't have the yeah. financial backing there. But if we did, I think Australia would be uh, certainly on that level of, of competitiveness that I assume, you know, that I think about with Europe, like Greece and Turkey and places like that. Um, so that's that, that's the only holdback. But to see that basketball development in Australia has, has produced so many great players. And I remember as a kid in high school when we would play I remember those uh, those games. There were, there were some really, really good competitive games. We made the all-high finals a couple of times. And every every sort of step along the way, you could feel that the, the standard just got higher and higher and higher. And so that's what I love. And I also love the fact that we've got Lauren Jackson, who's considered easily one of the best women's basketball players of all time. So on both sides, men and women, uh, we have you know great basketball development. And, and, and it's great to see. Yeah, and, and Lee, just... You know, you talk about the lifestyle here as well, you know, coming here to live in Australia, some of these imports, you get paid on time, they've settled down here. So you've noticed, <laughs> noticed the guys that, whose sons have gone on to play in, 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 in the NBA that you mentioned are sons of imports who came and settled down in Australia as well. So sure, you might not get the salaries and, and, and things like that, but it's a lifestyle choice to live here, which is, is a big driver as well, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, any any of those places where there's teams these days uh, would be fun to live, you know, whether it's on the West Coast that may be a little bit more isolated out there, but Perth's a beautiful city, Adelaide, and then all up and down the uh, the East Coast here. I mean, uh, you could live in any of those places. And I think that is very, very appealing. As I say, I, I really think the only, the only, you know, competitive drawback is the salaries that just can't quite match. I remember That's even when Paddy Mills went back during the... Uh, Lockout. When, when was yeah when when uh, he he was going to play in China uh, yeah. or he was going to play in Australia but then China basically immediately offered him sort of three or four times the salary which Australia couldn't compete with so 
you know, that's it. But, you know, there are some good things happening there. I see Larry Kesselman is talking about even adding more teams. There's been offers for, for more teams, and, and that's great. And I think the fact that LaMelo Ball was out there a few years ago really put Australia into the into the competitive ring where it's like, hey, if we can get the money, we're going to retract these guys who don't want to go to college or can't go to college or whatever, come and play down here. And I think LaMelo Ball had such a great experience. I think he only played 12 games or something in the end. It wasn't all that many. But it's more like, hey, he then went on and was drafted number three by the Hornets and was ready to play in the NBA. So everything about the LaMelo Ball experience from what I could see really shone the uh, light on Australian basketball as a place you can go and and evolve and develop your game and help prepare you for the NBA. So, look, we, we know we're never going to compete as far as getting, you know, guys in their prime. You know, you're not going to get a, you know, 27, 28-year-old guy who was a number one pick say, I'm, I'm opting out of my deal with the Lakers and I'm going to play for the Illawarra Hawks. Okay, that's not going to happen. But as far as a breeding ground and, and a development ground for next generation talent, I think Australia is in a good spot to, uh, you know, to host more people and more players. Yeah, I agree. And we're seeing that as well, you know, not just with Lamella Ball, with others coming here and, 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 and using this place as a springboard for, for success in the future. So, Lee, um, I want to go back to the start, right? And like a lot of Australians early in life, I did it, you know, you went to London, worked for a while there, but then you ended up in, in Canada, right? Um, yeah. You met your wife there and everything. How, how, did, that, how did that transition occur? Well, yeah, I, I did that uh, when I was 22. I was like, right, I'm just going backpacking around Europe for six weeks, two months, three months, whatever. I didn't really know. Um, and then one thing sort of led to another once I got there. and Because at the start, I was like, I'm going to go to Paris and then I'm going to Barcelona and, and somewhere. But then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, my God, I want to go everywhere. I want to start traveling. You meet people. You're young. You've got no commitments as far as a family or children or mortgage or anything like that. And you're like, I can do all this. This is this is incredible. And so I, I lived in London for a couple of years and then I went to Canada for the uh, working holiday visa, which Australians yeah. and Canadians had. And I think it's basically the same now. Uh, and because I, I had a friend from uh, Toronto who moved to Australia, but then he moved back to Toronto. And I was like, well, sure, why not? Why not go to Toronto? So I did that. Then after that year, I went back to Australia, uh, back to uh, England for another three and a half years because I wasn't ready to go back to Australia. I just felt that I wanted to do more traveling and more exploring. So I went back there to London. And then after three and a half years, I decided I want to go back to Canada. So I got another visa, which I sort of got a little bit lucky to get that second one, but I got it. And I went back to Canada. And this time I was approaching 30 and I was like, right, after about, it's been about seven or eight years now, I'm going to head back to Australia after this Canadian one year working holiday visa, settle down and, and start my career. I had no girlfriend and job or anything like that. Yeah. And then I met my, uh, I met this girl after a few weeks in a, in a bar and we started seeing each other and one thing led to another. And after being together for about a year, uh, we decided to get married. And, and it was because it was, at the, it was basically, I had to leave Canada. My visa was running out and we tried to, you know, we started talking about having some long distance relationship, but it was kind of like, how, how's this going to work? I mean, we can't see each other once every three months and try to build a relationship. It's, it's one thing or the other, especially when you get to 30, you're like, Yep. There's no point in wasting time here. And so I asked her to marry me and um, thinking she would say no because I was back in London at the time. And she was like, yeah, sure, let's do it. And I was like, uh, okay, well, I guess I'm going back to Toronto then. And so <laughs> it was one of those things where, yeah. look, I, you know, I, when I said it to dad, he was like, listen, if you if you love her and you think it's going to work, then then go for it, you know, because 
you, you, if you if you're not going to find out, then you don't want to just sort of give up on this relationship. Just if there's a way to continue it on and make it work, then go for it and see what happens. And you know, fortunately, it has worked out. We've been married for 15 years. We've got two kids. We yep. live now in Atlanta. We've moved down here. But it was one of those situations in life, a little bit where I am right now, having having been on the show uh, with the guys there for for 11 years. Just decided it was time to try something, and uh, and that one worked out really really well for me. So there was no no sort of hard concrete plan or blueprint that I was following. It was more just going on feel and sort of I want to try things and and see how they turn out. And uh, that has been and it has proven to me to be a solid sort of way to approach things in life. That you don't always need to know how things are going to work out. You don't always need to plan every sort of detail of everything. A big part of it can be sometimes just, uh, as we say in Australia, just have a crack and and see what happens, you know. And I, and, and that's the sort of approach I've taken, uh, you know, in the last fifteen to twenty years of my life. And and I have to say, overall, I'm pretty happy with the results. I mean, not everything goes as you would hope, of course, but not everything goes as you would hope if you if you if you stay at home either. So, I'm really um, taking just that approach where it's like, if you feel something and you like something, you want to try it, go for it. And see what happens and um you, you know you, you're always i always feel better to know what the answer was to a question that i've had rather than wonder what the outcome was going to be and yeah. and i don't know why i'm wired that way i just am and uh you know that that to me is something that and i, and I say it to my kids as well when they think about things and talk about things i say well if you want to find out let's go and find out and then so then we don't then we don't have to wonder or guess what might have happened or what would happen let's go and do it and uh and see what happens uh, it's great to hear that, Lee. And look, you mentioned obviously working with the guys there. You know, Woody and I mentioned at the start, we were real sort of hardcore fans from those early TPJ fans. I've always heard people come on and say, oh, you know, I listened to you guys from when the starters started. And that, you know, we were way before then. I can gladly say that. And look, we'll probably mention at the end as well, but, you know, you really did sort of inspire us to do what we're doing now. You know, hearing an Aussie voice talking about, you know, basketball, it's pretty unusual. You know, normally it's sort of just dominated by the Americans and, and everything there. But just wanted to sort of see how you first linked up with, you know, obviously Skeets and Tass on the Basketball Jones and talk about that relationship you built with not only Skeets and Tass, but also with Trey and producers uh, JD and Matty O. Yeah, well, um, so I was interning at The Score, which was an all-sports TV network in Toronto. And I this was back in 2009. Um, and they had been doing their podcast for sort of about two or three years at that point, but it wasn't regular. It was, uh, you know, not in a daily sense. It was sort of a couple of times a week and they and they did some things. They did a few other sort of viral videos. But, of course, this was really still when podcasts were in their infancy. No one knew what a podcast was. No, certainly people weren't listening to them. Uh, but I knew Skeet from the Ball Don't Lie blog where he used to write. And I mm. just assumed that was a New York-based thing with, you know, some young guy who's doing a podcast. It's like, I don't know what he's even – I don't even know what that is he's talking about. But it turns out they were in Toronto and they joined the score. And once I saw them doing that daily, I was like, oh, my God, these guys are talking about the NBA daily. I, I've got to get involved here. I want to I want to sort of do something, I, what I can. So – I tried to make myself known to them. I sort of walked past their office. Hey, guys, hey, yeah, I, I like basketball too. But, you know, again, being an Australian, I think they weren't automatically, uh, they didn't automatically think, well, he must know basketball. They probably think you don't know basketball. And so it took some time. But the uh, the real break for me came during the a lockout in 2011 when, you know, you're doing a daily podcast and there's no NBA to podcast about. I still don't understand how they were able to convince the bosses from the uh, – from the score to take them on this podcast trip around the United States, five weeks, 10 cities, 
And they said to me, uh, they said, hey, listen, we're going on this trip. You know, do you want to come? And I was like, of course. Like, you know, I didn't clear it with my wife or my boss <laughs> at the network. I just I just said yes because I just immediately was like, if, if they offer it to somebody else, somebody else is going to take it and I won't get that chance. And I was lucky and fortunate that I was the first person they asked. And so there was a, there was a little bit of an awkward moment with my boss there because he was like, like you work for me, you don't work for them type of thing. And there was a bit of a, a bit of an arm wrestle to get me to go. But I, I was kind of at that point where I'm like, I'm going on this trip and I don't care if I don't have a job to come back to because I want this opportunity. And so fortunately it did work out. And, uh, and then we started working together full time at the end of that trip because the, the season came back. I think they announced on Thanksgiving that they were going to come back on Christmas day to start the 11, 12, which worked with those guys uh, for and then uh two years later when we moved down here to atlanta which i can't believe is 10 years ago now since we uh wow. since we've been to atlanta which is amazing and, and we did the, the starters there on nba tv six seasons which was just the most incredible ride and i remember saying to my wife virtually from day one i said i don't know how long this is going to last but i want to try to embrace every moment breathe it all in because there must be, and and I knew this. There must be so many people, especially in Australia, who grew up like me, loving the NBA. So to get this opportunity, I felt like I was representing Australia and Australian basketball fans in so many ways. Because I'm like, this is wild. I can't, I can't explain it. There's no, there's no blueprint to what I'm doing here. There's nothing to replicate because it was all about sort of luck and opportunity, circumstance, sort of just a combination of things that came together that put me in that spot and I, uh, I really wanted to make the most of it. And, you know, the day they told us they weren't renewing the contract uh, for the following year, I mean, it was, it was devastating, but to be perfectly honest with you, I, I was shocked that it did happen, but I sort of knew that day was coming at some point anyway, because yep. in, in TV that happens to everybody. At some point you either get laid off, fired, redundant, contract not renewed, whatever you want to uh, say about it. And so when it came, I sort of thought I was ready for that in the sense that I was like, I just, I knew that I wasn't going to be doing the show for 20 years. I, I would have loved to, and, and yep. no no question, I would love to be doing it again. If they called us up and said, hey, we're bringing it back, I'd go back in two seconds, you know, because it was incredible. But when it happened, you you have to sort of realize like, okay, these things happen. And, and the thing was, whatever the final decision was, they said it was financial and, you know, corporations always cry poor when they're post profits of $8 billion one day and then they slash <laughs> thousands of workers the next but they they told us with about six months left on the contract so they 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 were honest in that sense where they're like we're not firing you for bad performance it's it's we just don't have the money or the budget whatever it was but you can see out this season so we had uh you know we had the last four or five months i can't exactly you know to see out the season the raptors won the championship which was ironic uh about it all so yeah it, it was an incredible ride incredible fun and um and yeah, we it was you know I did eleven years, eleven seasons in total with the guys, and uh, they were just incredible. It was a really, really fun life and career experience. Nice, appreciate that, Lee. Look, obviously we mentioned we're Hawks fans, here. Lee. What's Atlanta like as a city to sort of live in there? You've obviously been there a while now. Yeah, no, I, I like it. Um, apart from it gets it gets really hot and humid in July and August. Uh, yeah. That's the only part of it that that sort of detracts a little bit from me. But overall, when where we live, we live pretty much down well not downtown but just on the it's 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 a small part of the just out of downtown area 
but it's affordable and it's green. There's big parks nearby. There's good schools. There's really good restaurants. There's great food in this city, actually. I have to say this is fantastic food. Um, and so it's good. It's not like in New York or Los Angeles where you need to be earning $8 million a year just to be able to afford a two-bedroom apartment. You know yeah. what I mean? It's, uh, it's, it's affordable like that. So I like it. Um, you know, and again, there was definitely an adjustment period. It's not perfect. I mean, no, no place is. But uh, overall, as far as sort of destinations within the United States, I probably wouldn't pick anywhere else, to be honest. Um, you know, I've traveled to many, many cities. And New York was always something I wanted to live in in my 20s. I'm desperate to get to New York City in my 20s. But I wouldn't live there now as a family man and, a, and a, as a father because uh, I think there's just a little bit too much. I probably would. Look, I'd, I'd probably move to San Francisco or L.A. at some point. I wouldn't mind doing that. But uh, but Atlanta. But then again, you, you, you know, the taxes in California and the salaries you need to earn just to be able to afford something reasonable means that uh, – it, it's probably unlikely at this point, but you never know. Who knows? I didn't know I was going to be in Atlanta for 10 years either. So uh, anything is possible. Well, uh, Lee, just you did say I wasn't going to spend 20 years doing the show. You know, I would have loved to, et cetera. So you decided to make a change. And we, we, we heard that last episode. And, man, you know, it was, it, was, it was tough. It was tough to hear that, man, you know, to see it to leave. But you went on to the next chapter in your life, 20 cities, you know, 20 games, you know. All of that. How's that? How's that going now? You know, um, I know you're heading to South Africa shortly, but why don't you tell yes. our, our audience a little bit about how that's going? Yeah? yeah. Well, so that sort of started because when I travel, I always, if I see a hoop and a court and some people playing, I just sort of turn up and say, "Hey, can I shoot around too?" And uh, two years ago, I was in Germany and I, I started playing after lunch. It was at a flea market in Berlin, and I wasn't dressed like it, and I had a big belly full of lunch. But these guys were playing, and I was like you guys mind if I just play? And they're like, yeah, come along. And, and my son started shooting it on my phone. And, and so I put those clips up on, on Instagram. I not think much of it. It's not like I'm out there lighting guys up or anything, but I was just playing to have fun. And I started getting messages from people saying, hey, come to my city and play. Come to my country. I'll, I'll show you around and we'll, we'll go and play. And I'm, I was like, okay, no worries. And then the more I sort of started posting and talking about traveling, because I travel a lot with my family, people would always say, if you're in my city, You've got to come out and we're going to go and play. And I started saying to my wife, like, I wonder if I could maybe turn this into something. I mean, I've gotten so many offers from so many places that I want to go and visit. And there's basketball courts everywhere. I mean, you know, and some really, really cool ones. I was like, I wonder if I could turn this into something. And that's what I was saying before about this idea. Just It, it wasn't like I was looking to leave the show or I was sick of basketball or anything like that. It was more this idea just kind of was like, forcing its way onto me that I couldn't ignore it anymore. And, and, and once I realized that I was like, I think I can actually make this into something, but I'm only going to be able to do that if I dive right into it head first, you know, jump. You, you, because a couple of people said to me, why couldn't you just do the podcast and then try to do this as a side project? But this is not really a side project. Yep. This is you're either in or you're out. And that's when I realized, like, if I'm going to do this at my age, it's got to be now. And, so I, I made the choice and I, and I made the decision to try to combine my two loves, which is playing basketball and traveling outside my family, of course, playing basketball and traveling and exploring the world and having some fun. And so far, I mean, it's been incredible. I've had so many fantastic experiences. The first five cities have, have, have done have been Frankfurt, uh, Ljubljana and Slovenia, then Croatia. There was a couple of cities there, but we'll just say Croatia for one, Belgrade in Serbia and Athens in Greece. And it, 
it really did live up to the expectations. Like people came out and they played basketball. They told stories. We had fun. And what I learned from that first trip was, I, I you know, if I am going to turn this into a series, I need to shoot it better. I need to proper like camera crew and editorial crew and things like that. So I didn't have that for the first one, but I knew as well that the first one was more a proof of concept idea. It was like, okay, what is it? What am I trying to do? And I went out there and did it. So now as I head to Africa here in a couple of weeks, I'm going to have uh, a, a higher quality of production as far as shooting and editing and things like that. And so I'm hoping at some point, someone from Netflix or Amazon Prime, Hulu, whoever, will see what I'm trying to do and, and say, yeah, we can, you know, we can turn this into a series. We can make something out of this. And and, yep. and that's ultimately, again, for me, the, you, you, everyone's got ideas. Everyone thinks they've got the million dollar idea. They just need that uh, that little break. But I feel that the best way to to really believe in your ideas to just go out and try to make it happen and see what comes from that. And as I said before, I, I didn't want to be sitting at that podcast desk in two years' time thinking like, I wonder what would have happened if I just tried. I wonder I wonder if I could have turned it into something. I'd rather be in the position in two years where I'm like, hey, I gave it a crack. Couldn't quite I couldn't quite get it to where I wanted it to go or to get, you know, to get enough interest from a network or a streaming service. But I'm so glad I tried. I'm so glad I shot that shot uh, and gave it. And then that's that's how I feel right now. I, I, I don't feel, um, you know, I don't sort of regret not trying or miss the show. I mean, you know, basketball is great. I still love the NBA. I still love like the league. But I also love being in this position where I'm like, I'm not quite sure what's going to happen. You know, the NBA will be there in a couple of years time if I do want to go back into podcasting. But this is one of those situations where there's only one way to find out. And, and you've got to go for it. And, and that's what I'm trying to do. And uh, I've had incredible support from people around the world, to, you know, and offers and invitations to come out and play. And I'm hoping to hit on them if I can. Uh, but it's it's also one step at a time. And so uh, Africa is up next. And I've got some incredibly exciting things planned. I'm going to be doing some clinics with local kids and people as well. Because while it's, you know, primarily this trip was about me playing basketball, it's so much more rewarding and fulfilling to know that I'll be there playing with local people and sharing the love of the game with them and, and hopefully leaving a, a fond memory for them. And also hopefully they'll say, Hey, basketball can be more than just a game. It can be maybe something we can turn into our career or, or a chance to explore the world as well. So that's what I'm really motivated by just the opportunity to, to try this, to see what I can make out of it and have some fun and get some buckets along the way. Lee, there's a mantra here. I'm hearing it, right? Starting from when you left to go backpacking or when you decided to um, ask your, your girlfriend to marry you or yeah. when you said, screw it, I'm getting on that bus on that tour for 10, 10, 10, 10, 10 cities or whatever yeah, with, the, yeah. with the score or, or now it's go for it, right? And you've stuck to that mantra your whole life and it's worked for you previously. So I'm telling you, man, I don't see any reason why it ain't going to work for you now. So respect you, to you, you know, for that. Like, right? One one of my one of my idols is Richard Branson, yeah. and Richard Branson in the eighties, he took on British Airways with one plane. He had one plane. He had one route: London to JFK and back. He had one plane, and British Airways tried to crush him. They tried. They they saw that one plane as the biggest threat uh, in in the world. And now, you know, the reason I bring that up is because if Richard Branson said, "Hey, I'm going to take on British Airways in the eighties." Can you imagine anyone saying to him like, oh, great idea, man. Yeah, I think you can do it with one plane. I think you'll, you'll take him down, you know. Now, you know, I'm not quite Richard Branson, but I'm also like, I just, 
sometimes if you if you don't think about things too much and just go for them, I think you've got as much chance of succeeding as when you really do sit down and plot and plan every step of the way and, and, and prepare it. I think sometimes, you know, it's it's like jumping in the ocean. I don't dip my foot in and then just go, oh, it's a bit it's a bit cold. I'll wait till I get in. If I'm going to the ocean, boom, I'm in the water. And uh, and that's that's just the way I approach it. And I, and I think you're right. I think th- those previous examples that you mentioned there in yep. my life have given me the confidence to believe that this is also the right opportunity here to do, where it's like y- you can't always explain it necessarily to some people. They Some people want, you know, specific answers to questions that you're like, you haven't thought of. Like, I don't know, but I just know that if I go for it, there's, there's more of a chance in my belief that something will happen from it one way or the other. And, and, and I like the sort of the uncertainty and the unknown in that sense. Thanks for that then, Lee. Um, one thing I also wanted to ask you as well, I did see that video interview you did with um, Dasha Doncic, of course, Luca's dad there. Um, how did that eventuate? What was that experience like? He seemed to be sort of right up for that. He had that sort of, I guess, a bit of a gruff exterior. But once you got talking with him, you could see he seemed to be really enjoying that. Yeah, that was an awesome experience. Um, and, and that really happened because a guy from a Slovenian basketball podcast was following me on Twitter. And when so when I started doing my research, I just came across this podcast and I typed in his name, Luca Stuchin, uh, and I noticed he was following me. I was like, oh, okay. So I followed him back. And then I told him I'm coming to Ljubljana. Um, I, I don't remember exactly how I realized he worked or he knew Sasha, but at some point along the way, I just said, oh, well, would Sasha be up for an interview? And he said, well, I'll ask him. And I was like, sure, great. I mean, why not? Uh, because Sasha doesn't apparently do a whole lot of media. So I, I didn't really, ex- I wasn't sure if it was going to happen or not. And then it did. And yeah, he was incredible. He he was so uh, easy to talk to. He was so warm and generous with his time. He's a big guy there. Uh, and we had a fantastic conversation. It was a lot of fun. And then after that, he said, you know, do you want to come out for dinner? And I was like, yeah, sure. Thinking, you know, we'd have a beer and a meal and, and you know, an hour and a half, two hours later, we'd be done. Five hours later, we were still in the uh, this restaurant. We were still drinking and eating. And, and I had to go to Zagreb the next day. I had to catch a bus. And I was like, I said, Sasha, I, I gotta go. I'm so drunk. I'm so full. I, I don't even know where my hotel is right now. I've got to go. He's like, drink, drink, drink. And I was like, I gotta go, man. I'm out of here. So it was it was one of those things that I, I really, I really wish I was able to film the dinner as well, because that was that was seeing like a guy really at his best, where he was just a very charming man, you know, funny, engaging, great storyteller. And it's all about when you're having a, a big meal and a drink in someone's town where they're trying to show it off to you, where you have those just awesome moments. Um, but it wasn't planned in that sense. There was no preparation for the. I didn't know it was going to happen, so I didn't have the cameras rolling. And and even look, sometimes I think even if you have the cameras rolling, people act differently. You know, like they're like, oh, hang on, I don't want to look like a. I don't want to. I don't want to sound stupid or say something dumb. Like we all have that. So maybe it wouldn't have been quite as uh, captivating, but it, it's one of those situations where I was like, wow, what an awesome experience. And I've had some people uh, since I got back to America and said, like, Sasha doesn't talk to anyone. How come he talked to you? And I said, I just asked. That's that's all it is. I mean, and that's, again, my philosophy in life. It's like I didn't do anything. I didn't pay anybody. I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't bring any special treats or anything like that. I just said, well, if I'm there and he's there, would he be interview- uh, Would he be interested in doing an interview? Yep. Okay, great. Let's do it. And then I always feel, and I think I learned this from my basketball Jones and starters days, like the best interviews for me are the ones where you're just having a conversation and let the conversation kind of 
go where it's going. And I had a few questions in the back of my mind. I had a few, you know, I had a general direction of where I wanted to go if the conversation, um, you know, stalled at all. But overall, I sensed early on that Sasha was pretty comfortable with me asking him anything, you know, and, and I wanted to know a bit about uh, basketball in the region, but I also want to know about Luca and what it's like, you know, for, for a father of such a star player. And uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was one of those just cool experiences that again, that those sorts of experiences are the ones that truly make me feel that again, doing this project and taking on this challenge is what it's all about. I couldn't plan that necessarily. I didn't know exactly how it was going to go. But I know for sure, 100% certainty, that it wouldn't have happened if I didn't go and make that journey there myself. So for me, that's what it's all about, just putting yourself in that position where things can happen, and, and sometimes they do. And that video actually on my own YouTube channel has been my most viewed uh, video. I had all these other crazy ideas about this, you know, playing basketball in these cities with great backdrops and things. I think, oh, that, those things are going to – people are going to watch those. Nope, they're watching the one with me and Sasha most. So uh... I was going to say as well, for any of our viewers that haven't seen that, jump onto you know Lee's YouTube page, jump onto his Twitter page there and watch it. It's, it's a good little watch there for sure. Yeah, speaking of our viewers, actually, we've got a little viewer question coming from someone that you are familiar with, Lee. Uh, he's a very good friend of the show, Sid, a.k.a. the Sydney Sea King. Shout out to you, Sid. Um, <laughs> I know he made you a jersey design back in the day. Am I right in saying that? I think you're right yeah that 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 i still i remember because they've been around for a while now that season it's just one it, guy Sid. oh it's one yeah. guy yeah. Yeah, yeah because it started as a, a sort of troll account is that right yep. Like, yep. yeah yeah someone was referencing maybe lamelo ball was it i can't remember but yeah the city kings uh, yeah. uh so when it first started i, I wasn't sure if that was a new team or not uh yeah but it turns out <laughs> It turns out it was just a, a, a an error, I guess. Well, his name's Sid, and uh, he's Sydney Seeking. He's a big fan of uh, of you and and the show, and and he's a he's a he's a listener of, of Throwback Hoops every week. And he asked me, um, Lee, have you done any leapies lately on your most recent travels? <laughs> and if so, where uh, and how was it? <laughs> uh, on my travels, well. I mean, look, the, the leap only happens at night. Uh, and and there's, a, there's a reason it happens at night is because, you know, when I wake up and I need to go for a pee, I don't want to turn all the lights on and, and you know, have that, like, awakening of the senses. Yep. So the reason I do it is I walk in and then I just know that the other thing is, as you guys know, us guys, we're not very accurate when we pee standing up. I mean, you would think after 30, 40 years we would get better at it, but we don't. I've got two boys. <laughs> Honestly, like they pee and they're looking out the side here. They're trying to talk to each other. They're reading a book. I'm like, boys, just focus. Just <laughs> for the next 10 seconds, ignore everything else in the world and concentrate. But they can't do it. And so, again, with my wife, we, we have a you know a, a, an ensuite bathroom in our bedroom there. I don't want her to have to come in in the morning and find pee all over the place. So I try to make it as accurate as possible. So I, I mount it front onwards and just pee in the night there so that... Uh, <laughs> so. <laughs> So that uh, you know, she doesn't have to deal with any, any, any more disgusting behaviour from the. Uh, she lives with three boys, so the, the two younger ones. Look, there's not much you can do. They're they're just kids, but uh, she expects higher standards from me. So I try to keep it as clean as possible. So no leapies on your travels is what you're saying, right? Well, you know, I mean, at <laughs> night, yes, I'm sure in the hotels and things like that. But no, it's not like, you know, it's not like I'm in a restaurant in the middle of the day and I'm going to do I'm certainly not going to be sitting on a toilet in the middle of the day in a restaurant in uh, 
you know, in uh, Serbia or anywhere like that. But uh, no, it, it's. Uh, I think it's one of those things that's grown a bit of legs over the time. That is, is if I do it every single where I go, like a puppy. But uh, it's really only at night time, so that I, I I can sort of sleep, stay sleep, uh, and pee at the same time. Well, big shout out to Sydney. Thanks for that. And yeah. he says, what's up, Lee? So, all right, we're going to move on to your Australia's in the NBA in a minute. But there's something I wanted to ask you, right? You, you, you've, you've mentioned before your two passions in life are, are basketball and traveling. Look, my two passions in life are basketball and cricket, being Indian right. myself, right? So I know you're traveling. You're, you're all over the place. You've got a lot of stuff on. Do you still get a chance to jump on Crick Info and keep up to date with what's going on in the cricket world or...? Uh, yes and no. Yes. I don't really watch the 2020 stuff um, because it seems like there's just a different series and a new competition on all the time. But when there's big test series, you know, like the Ashes or if Australia, because Australia is, are they in India right now? Correct. I, I was going to ask you, that's my yeah. next question. Four test yeah, studying, yeah. day after tomorrow, India, Australia. What do yeah. you think of Australia's chances? Well, um, I, I mean, Virat Kohli, as long as he's still there, I think in India, India should be favourite. Uh, I mean, he, he's an incredible yeah. batsman. Um, it's funny because just not long ago, I can't remember why I was talking about it, but someone brought up the game in Kolkata from 2001 with the VBS Laxman, 281. Yeah, yeah, man. yeah. and, and uh, he, he was saying something about, um, what was it? I can't remember what triggered it, but anyway, um, he was talking about Glenn McGrath and Shane Warne and, and uh, Brett Lee and Jason Gillespie. And I said, hey, listen, in Australia, anyway, and I said, listen, I watch every single ball of VVS Laxman's 281 because Australia had India three for 130 in the second inning, still about 150 behind with Tendulkar in the dressing room, yep. and we somehow lost that game. We somehow lost the game and the series and the trophy, the Gavaskar Border Trophy, when it would have been the first time in 30 years on Indian soil Australia had won. So, um yeah, I, I, it's funny because in 2004, when Australia did finally break through in India, the choice I had was going to India or to the Athens Olympics, and I chose the Olympics. And I had a great time. I don't, I don't regret it. Yep. But that was probably my one chance of going to India because, I, well, well, for now anyway, I will go back at some point. I'd like to take the kids there, but it's not like uh, it's not like going to the Caribbean either, where you can, you know, it, it, it takes a bit more planning and preparation. Sure. And you don't want to go to India for a week. I want to go for three months if I can. So. I'll get there at some point. Um, I, sure. I I still remember the commentator saying, I, I can't remember exactly where it was. Maybe it was Eden Gardens there where they said the crowd capacity was 80,000, but there were no turnstiles. You just had to sort of, uh, right. you just had to let, a, let a mount as many people in as you can until you sort of go, well, that's probably about 80,000, so uh, no more. But um, I mean, yeah, like cricket in India to me, like that must be the toughest environment for any touring teams to play in where it's yep. loud and dusty and the crowd's going crazy and uh but also i mean that's what i love about cricket i just love how the the conditions are so different depending on where you are in the world and uh yeah in india is a fascinating destination funny i had some people from india say to come out and, uh in to play basketball i had three people from pa- uh, from karachi in pakistan say so come out to karachi and play so i was like wow i did not know there was a basketball culture of any kind uh certainly in pakistan i knew with india there's a little bit of a push yep. being made by the nba but pakistan was a new destination and i was telling me hey the beaches in karachi are beautiful and there's uh there's great basketball great food and i was like okay well at some point i'm going to do a, a subcontinent tour hopefully i can combine it with a uh, cricket tour as well 
Yeah, well, shout out to Cricket Australia. Took the team recently to Pakistan after many, many years of countries yes. not going there. It's a much safer place to travel now, and it's been good for the people of Pakistan there. So amazing. All right, thanks, Lee. Really appreciate you, you know, giving us the time and telling us a little bit about your life. So I just wanted to talk about Australians in the NBA. Let me just kick it off with um, both of you guys about one Aussie who surprisingly made a return to the NBA, albeit in a veteran leadership role in Matthew Delavadova. I know the relationship he has with coach Mike Brown has paved the way for this. Both Darren Fox and Davion Mitchell have spoken openly about how much he's helped them off the floor. What kind of impact has he had on the Sacramento roster? And, roster? Are you surprised to see the Sacramento Kings doing so well? Will they finally break that playoff playoff drought this year? Oh, they, God, if they don't make... They miss out on the playoffs from here. That will be just a, an absolute disaster. I mean, they they honestly should lock up home court too. But anyway, yeah. let's let's just get them into the playoffs first. Yeah. Uh, I think I think when you sign a guy like Matthew Delavdova, and you mentioned the previous relationship there with Mike Brown, I yeah. think you sign him because you know damn well you're going to get a guy who's not going to come in there and think he's Michael Jordan. He's going to come in and make whoever. Whichever practice session or game he's in, he's going to work hard. He's going to defend. He's going to scrap. He's going to fight. He's going to knock down a, a couple of shots here and there. Uh, but he's there for more than just playing minutes on the court. He's there to sort of also just toughen some guys up a little bit and, and, and be a leader, be a veteran who's won a championship. He was part of the, in my opinion, probably the greatest championship of all time yep. as well, that that comeback against the Warriors. you know, And, and he played some good minutes. And LeBron respects him and admires him and look not everyone loves Delhi some people think that you know he's he's had he, got, he earned a bit of a reputation there for being a dirty player I think for us Australians growing up especially when we played Aussie rules football we're taught we're taught dive on the ball you know put your body on line Delhi did that and, and some people couldn't quite uh figure out that that was just how he plays but there's always a role for guys like him in the NBA um because as I say he's not coming in thinking hey I'm taking De'Aaron Fox's minutes here or anything like that He's like, if I get five minutes tonight or 15 or 20, you're getting 120% effort from me. You're going to get someone who's going to scrap and fight and he won't care at all about the box score at the end of the night. He just wants yeah. to see the, the W on the board. So, um, you know, that that's what that's what you get out of a guy like Della Vidova. And I think at his previous stops in Milwaukee, they loved him there as well. Uh, and he was really well loved in Cleveland. So, He's a sort of guy that uh, everyone needs one of those on his, on their roster, and I think he really does earn his keep on that team. Yeah, look, I, I agree with what Lee's saying. I mean, he's a perfect sort of teammate, isn't he? I think it sort of rejuvenated his career a bit when he had that season in the NBL playing with Melbourne there. It sort of probably wanted him, you know, made him want to get back into the association and sort of contribute there. But, yeah, um, look, in terms of Sacramento, I'm a little bit worried about them, to be honest. Um, they haven't been playing as good the last couple of weeks. I think they're 5-5 five and five in their last 10 games. Um, we mentioned on the show last week, Woods, how close the West is there. So, yeah, look, it would be a massive um, massive fall if they didn't make the playoffs from here. I hope they do, obviously. But, um, yeah, I'm just sort of looking now. They're on the same amount of wins as Minnesota, who's in seventh place, and they're third. So it just shows you how close the West is there. So hopefully they don't start getting a little bit tight later in the year, but... No, I think uh, yeah. all the neutral fans will be hoping that too, Munger, right? Yeah, I, I, that's the thing. Is it's like for the for the playoff drought to be as long as it was. I mean, anyone who remembers the the Vladi Pager, Mike Bibby Kings, they were yep. so much fun. I used to love watching absolutely. those games. Um, and it's crazy to me that they haven't been back since then somehow because they've had good players over the years, but they've been mismanaged. And I think Vivek's 
you know, he, he interferes a little bit too much. I think yep. they're probably, yep. you know, firing Mike Malone when they when they shouldn't mm-hmm. have. Uh, you know, they've hired guys and fired them left and right. So stability is probably the most important uh, factor for them from here on out. And so I think if Brown can get them into the playoffs and certainly get them, uh, you know, at least a couple of wins, maybe, I don't, who knows exactly, because it is so tight there in the West. And you don't want, God, if they, if they were to draw the Warriors in the first round, I mean, that would be, just a disaster for the Kings because I even if they had a home court they wouldn't beat the Warriors but it's just uh yeah it, it's it's just good to see they're finally at least at this stage of the season they're in with a real chance of making the playoffs because honestly it feels like sort of by Christmas most years it's like nah, they're done they're not going to make you're, it <laughs> you're right man and the people of Sacramento deserve it after being such loyal fans all right so we talked about what a great pathway um the NBL can be for 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 guys to get to the NBA we spoke about Lamella Ball we spoke about Warwick Giddy as well earlier. So I want to talk a little bit about Josh Giddy, who went down that path through the Adelaide 36ers. Second year pro. He's really taken his game to the next level this year. Why don't you guys tell me a little bit about what you see and how his game has developed over the, over the season? Well, I think he's probably been one of the biggest surprises uh, going back to his rookie season, even when the Thunder drafted him there at number six, because uh, I hadn't seen him that high on any draft boards. I'd seen him closer to maybe 12 or 13, yep. probably at the highest. And so people were like, Who, who's this guy? You know, no one really heard from him because he obviously didn't play in the uh, college system either in the United States there. But look, he came along and he showed he's got good handles for a big guy. He's a very good passer of the ball, you know, pretty decent defensively. The shot is improving. Yeah, uh, but if he, can, if he can develop a really consistent shot now, it doesn't have to be, he doesn't have to be Ray Allen or Steph Curry, but just a guy who's like, you can't leave him open and knock, those, knock down some of those mid-ranges and step back out. And, and you know, the three-point the three point shot's okay. But if you can become really one of those guys who's like, hey, this guy is money if he's left open, then that's just going to expand his game even more. But I think overall the Thunder are thrilled with him where he is right now. Uh, and I think he's proven that he is going to work on his game and try to get better. And I, I, I just think it's great for him because the shot isn't, you know, you can just tell mechanically the shot still needs some work, but he's, I believe he's working with Chip England, actually, the mm, uh, Spurs yeah, guy, yeah. who's who's got a uh, long history of uh, improving guy shots all around the NBA. So I think he's in the right circumstances there to improve it, but it's also just going to be time, bit of time, bit of patience and the thunder, I mean, they have to start winning consistently too. I mean, they're they're doing okay this season, but losing Chet at the start was a bit of a setback for them. But uh, I, I think uh, the sky's the limit there for for Giddy. I think he's doing really, really well. Do you reckon he could be a future All Star, Lee? Oh yeah, no question, no yeah. question. Uh, I mean, I, I say no question as if like it's a given. I mean, it's not a given, but the, just the trajectory that he is on, uh, mm. and and they're going to win more games. Gilgis Alexander, of course, from the Thunder, was an All Star, so. The more games you win, the more chances you get yourself of putting you in a, in a position. And I think the one thing that guys like Giddy get, even though you're not going to see too many highlight real dunks, you, you see a few highlight real passes, but he's going to get earn that respect. So it, it's probably not in the next year or two, but if he's in the league still in 10 years' time, I'll be shocked if he hasn't had at least one all-star game appearance along the way. Yeah, I mean, look, he's such a hard worker as well. He seems like that yeah. sort of guy that will definitely add things to his game each offseason. We've already seen his shooting improve there. He's sneaky big, isn't he? I always kind of forget that when you see him out there. He's a big boy. Um, so, yeah, I think you're right with that, Lee. I think there's definitely a, you know, a good chance that he could make one. And I know the three of us will be certainly hoping he does anyway. Yeah. Kind of going back to Andrew Gaze, can't underestimate the kind of influence Gaze he's had on his life coming up to 
to, yeah. to develop him to the way he is today as well. So, mm. all right, big news yesterday. We saw about the Kyrie Irving trade, right? Now I want to talk about Robbie. Maybe I'll throw to you. How does what implications does this have for Paddy Mills? He's been getting a lot of DNP CDs lately. Um, obviously, Spencer Dinwiddie's coming back to Brooklyn now. What's, yeah. what's the future for Paddy? Is he got a role to play on 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 the net? So. May they trade him or, or set Curry before the deadline? What, we've got a few days left. What do you think is going to happen here? A few days, yeah. Look, I don't think it's going to change his role dramatically there. I mean, obviously, you said they got Dinwiddie back. He's another yeah. very capable point guard that will be you know, playing a lot of those minutes there. He doesn't seem to be in their long-term plans, does he? I think he's someone that, you know, his defense has, you know, really sort of fallen off a little bit. And look, the guy is getting on. There's no sort of, you know, no issues with him doing that there. I still think he can play a pretty good role on a team there. He can come out and, you know, heat up in a quarter, score, you know, eight or nine points in five minutes or something like that. So hopefully, look, if they do trade him, he goes somewhere that's going to be maybe another contender there. But I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what happens there and what the market is for him there. As you said, two days left in the in the trade period there. So, yeah. Um, look, hopefully it works out well for him anyway, because I still think he's got a, a got a role to to give in the NBA. Oh yeah. I, I mean, uh, you know, guy like him, you you know what you're getting. He's going to be you know respected uh, and 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 uh, in demand anyway. So if you can find the right situation and the right team, why not? Why not make that move? Mm. But uh, yeah, I mean, for Brooklyn, oof. <laughs> I mean, if you look at Brooklyn, like they, you know, Sean Marks, I think, did a fantastic job because players, when they become available, if you can get those big names, and he got Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and then in the end, Ben Simmons. I mean, that is what that is what people want. They want star players. They want their guys. They want their buddies to play with. He got them all together. Now, it didn't work out, but I don't think we can put that on Sean Marks. I mean, James Harden powdered his way out of Houston, get to Brooklyn to play with Kevin Durant uh, and uh, and Kyrie Irving, and that wasn't good enough for him. You know, so he gets traded to Philadelphia. You know, Kevin Durant went to Brooklyn, and then he wanted to be traded after being there. Like, and now Kyrie is gone. So sometimes it's like, don't isn't this what you guys want? You want all stars, you want all NBA players, you want you know some of the top fifty or top seventy five guys in NBA history. You've got them. But they're still like, nah. And it's in Brooklyn as well. You know, they're not playing for the Pistons or the, yep. you know, Pacers or anyone like that. So uh, it's 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 crazy to me how James Harden, you know, forced his way out of Houston, got to Brooklyn, playing with Kevin Durant again. And he's like, nah, I'm, I, I'm not happy here either. I want to go somewhere else. It's like, okay, go then. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we'll see how it plays out. I think a guy like Dinwiddie might be good, and he, even uh, Dorian Finney-Smith, the guy who can you know yep. defend and shoot threes, might help that team. And there might be some more stability here when there's no, let's just say, cancers in the locker room, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. So <laughs> hopefully um, they have a a decent run going towards the playoffs with that with that roster as it is now. Okay, so finally I wanted to ask you guys about two guys in the NBL who are also both sons of former NBL imports, Lee, and, and their prospects are making the leap to the NBA. I'm talking about... Xavier Cooks and Keanu Pinder, sons of Eric Cooks and Tiny Pinder. I'm not sure you've been keeping an eye on their progress in the NBL, but these two have been on an absolute tear. A um, couple of their drawbacks are, you know, uh, Cooks can't make that outside shot. Pinder can't really stre- stretch his game to that three-point uh, territory. But, I mean, these guys have been playing great. Are they, are they NBA prospects going forward? Yeah, I mean, it is, it is tough to evaluate them from here because I yep. obviously haven't been following the league, you know, super closely. But again, I think that if you've got the talent and the athleticism and the speed and things like that, 
then I wouldn't be surprised if someone takes a flyer on them at some point. I mean, they're, they're not going to be high draft picks. Um, but again, the, the Australian reputation that you're bringing and you look at guys who have come over from Australia, especially sons of, of former players, as we talked about before, then there's intrigue there. It's like, well, okay, maybe, you know, look, Ben Simmons is probably the most high-profile guy because he was the number one pick, of course, and he's the biggest, most athletic guy. But then you look at someone like Dante Exum, who was taken a few years before him as a high pick as well, about number four or five, I think he was. Now, Dante, if it wasn't for the injuries, I think he probably would still be in the NBA. I thought he was an incredibly talented player. His body sort of let him down. So I think people are going to be very, very interested in, in seeing what these guys need to work on and if it's something that you can mold into a, a good player because a lot of players, uh, even when even some of the best players, like Tony Parker is a good example, Chris Paul, Derek Rose, these guys couldn't shoot when they came into the NBA. They were not good shooters. All of them developed and worked and worked and worked at their game to become very, very reliable shooters in that mid-range spot. You know, Paul, Rose, and, and Parker, none of them were great three-point shooters, but all of them were that, like, you know, 15, 17-foot range where it's like they just worked on something. And that's what I was saying before about Josh Giddy. You don't need to be Steph Curry. That's, you don't, you don't, that's not the only way you can be a good shooter. What you can do, though, is just get to that spot where it's like, if I'm left open or if I can get to my spot here, I can knock down shots. So, you know, the guys you talk about there, if they can do that, if they can add that part of the game, and then on top of that, you know, good athletes, the right attitude, you know, yep. uh, can run, long, athletic, whatever you want to say. If they've got those other attributes, then they'll have people who are prepared to work on them and try to give them a chance because I think that's ultimately, again, the uh, the respect the Australian players have earned. I think if Xavier Cooks does end up with that MVP award, which I think tonight, right, Woods, the Gazies are on tonight, yep, the tonight, award yep, night. So yep. I think he's a pretty good chance of getting an MVP. So that'll certainly look good on his resume and maybe get him a you know another summer league invite potentially he could land on a roster next year. For sure, for sure. And, and before we move on to, to the end of the show and, uh, and, and my favourite segment, um, I just want to talk about what's going on in the NBL really quickly, Robbie. I'm wearing my Sydney mm. Kings hat now, Lee. Last <laughs> game of the season, right? So we're both living in Sydney, right? But but Robbie's originally a Perth boy and I'm, I'm a Sydney boy. So we have this little rivalry. Last game of the regular season, Perth needed to beat Sydney by 12 points to get into the playoffs, right? And it was going back and forth, back and forth. We had a three on the buzzer to... And, and Perth were ahead by 12, we missed it. So Perth are into the finals now, all right? Into the play-in situation, right? So we got three versus four, five versus six, and one and two automatically qualified through. So we've copied the NBA a little bit here with the NBL. So Robbie, quickly your predictions for the week. Three versus four, we got Tasmania at home to, no, Cairns at home to Tasmania. Yeah. Josh, Josh Majet is out, right? So we, yeah, we I think got... the Josh Majet injury is huge there. So look, obviously Cairns have got injuries themselves with Pinder, you know, under an injury cloud there. Um, Tajir McCall wasn't looking too great last week. I think yeah. Cairns will get up and, and win that one. Um, but yeah, just very quickly, what a game that Wildcats-Sydney game was. Um, I don't think I've ever been that excited with a 12-point game at the end of a game. And that obviously shows the plane. <laughs> That's some excitement. I mean, Lee met my daughter at the start of the show. I was jumping around the house like a little kid when they, you know, when they made the playoffs there. And it was such a joy to see them get in there, and especially against your Kingswoods. I'm always happy to see Perth beat Sydney there. And Feeling. Sydney were obviously trying very hard to knock out Perth as a bit of a rival there. But I actually think Perth will go to Melbourne on Thursday and beat South East. I wasn't even asking. I wasn't even I'm ask not putting the home card on there. I just uh, think that's yeah. a good the win from and I'll get that there. So, yeah, look, I still think it's Sydney or New Zealand's title to win this year, though, in saying that. All right. Awesome. Thanks, Robbie. Let's see how that plays out. Okay. 
So, Lee, we've got to pay tribute to you. I mean, a lot of people listen to our show. We're a throwback show. We like to talk about the old times. We're old jerseys. And someone said, why don't you open a pack of classic packs on your, uh-huh. on your, on your show? And we're like, look, man, that's, that's, that's stealing Lee's thunder. You know, we, we can't really, you know, well, we can do it. All right, cool. We'll pay an ode to him. So whenever we get a checklist, we rip it up too. All right. I mean, we're right, signing good. him and sending it yeah, out to yeah. our listeners like you or anything <laughs> like that, right? But we don't, yeah. we, don't, we don't tear up a Hawks checklist. That's the deal, though. We don't tear up a okay. Hawks checklist. Okay. We'll tear, tear up all other checklists. Robbie's pretty damn good, right? So, I mean, he, I, I've got to be on my game. I usually give the clues and then you guys come come and see if you can guess the player, right? So, all right. Yeah, it's, it's I love CLS it. I love versus it. Robbie Clayton. We got, oh. you remember the classic oh, okay. 1991 hoops with the silver backgrounds? Yeah. These are one of my favorite packs of all time. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Yeah. Let's do this. See if we get a notice Thorpe, right, Luke? Ah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. One thing I should notice. say, anytime we get a coach card, Woody just always assumes that they're dead, that coach. And we've had about five now. <laughs> no, very much still alive. So, yeah, yeah he's actually been a bit better. Well, there's a few that have probably yeah, dropped off now. But, yeah, uh, definitely. Okay. Atlanta Hawks legend. His son plays in this league. Doc Rivers. Glenn Rivers, yes. Nice. Oh, yeah, that's yes. it. Very good. Yeah, yeah. One time all star. Show us the back of those ones. What are they look like? Yeah, the back ones are like this. Nice little nice profile and, and all that. Yep. Anton yeah, Rivers. Yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah. nice. <laughs> all right. Phoenix Suns guard in 1991. Um, could just get buckets in a variety of different ways. Jeff Hornacek. Moved into, moved into the con- commentary box recently. Calls games. Um, he wore number eight and oh, Eddie Johnson. Eddie, yeah, I love this guy, man. Love this guy. He loves getting into it on Twitter with people, too. Mr. Yeah, Jump Shots, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. This guy I'm talking about was a little guy, man. I loved him. One handed shooting technique. No uh, one Michael ever Adams, Adams. Yeah. Michael Adams, yeah. man. How cool yeah. this great, guy, great man. Great jerseys back then as well, right? Uh, you know, I've got his he bobblehead awesome. somewhere as well. I know. Robbie's got hundreds of bobbleheads, and he's got a Michael Adams one, <laughs> Lee, in his, in his collection yeah. somewhere, right? Yeah, he was an all-star in 92, I think, Adams. Oh. Uh, <laughs> he, had, he was most improved, 26 and 10. And that I'm really losing, had... see how much Woody loves this. Right? I'm losing my shit oh, right yeah. now. I'm looking at this yeah, card. Yeah. I'm losing my shit right now, all right? Cool. I'm talking about... Come on, Lee, man. This guy is an idol of yours, man. Someone that you just... Have so much Orlando. love for. No, no, no. Come on, man. Like Tom, um, Tom, uh, Otis. Otis. No, 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 no. Okay. This guy is like one of the greatest white boys of all time, right? The famous dunk. Your guy, man. Who am I talking about? Greatest white players. Ah, oh, Fred say. Barry. No, 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 no. This guy was a 25, 26 point scorer, yeah. man. Come Mark on, man. Jackson uh, might not like him, maybe. That's the clue. Bill Jackson might nope. not like no, him. Mark, Mark Jackson. Seattle and Phoenix. Yeah. Oh, Tom. Tom Chambers. Tom, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come yeah, on, yeah. Lee. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at shorts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was actually uh, a viral clip of going around of him the other day. I think it was in Boston where he did this sort of baseline reverse two-hand dunk just in traffic, wow. like uh, in a half-court set. Like freakish athlete, Tom Chambers, mm. for, uh, for a big guy. Oh, crazy, man. Uh, you know, underrated when we talk about great players, you know, and he still looks really good today. I was saying yeah. to Robbie, I saw him in an interview. I'm like, man, you're looking great still to this day. Yeah, right? yeah. So, um, okay, we talk about Milwaukee Bucks center, okay? Um, had a terrific career for Seattle and Milwaukee. Jack. Big Jack. Jack. Yeah. Yeah. Great free throw shooter. Look at that old Bucks logo there as yeah. well. Yeah, that's a great jersey. I love those Bucks jerseys. Yeah. 
Yeah. All right. Big Orlando Jack. Magic forward number thirty-three out of South Alabama. Uh, Otis. <laughs> no. Terry Catlin. Terry Catlin. Oh wow! He was Good a center, one. Yeah. Wasn't he? Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Probably Florida, a center in the uh, yeah. in the nineties at what six nine probably. So. Yeah. Well, he was. Um, he had to change his number, I think, when Shaq went there, right? I think. Okay. That's all, all nice you talk about dirty players. This guy's possibly the dirtiest player of all time, right? <laughs> Bill Lambier. Uh, Bill Lambier. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Going up against yeah, Cliff Levingston, I think, in that picture. Yeah. Ah, uh, <laughs> it is Cliff Levingston. Yep. Just despised Bill. Bill, Bill Lambier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. Well. All right. Golden State Warriors center, peripheral Larry player, Smith. white guy, seven foot, no. out of... Ah, I know. I think it's the uh, Jim Peterson. No, he played very few games, 13 games in 89-90, signed as a free agent. Um, he was a member of the 80, uh, 32. I've never heard of this guy. 32, good goal. He's a Michael Smrek. Oh, oh yeah. Mike Smack. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the Lakers. He won a couple of championships. Yeah, two championships in a row with the Lakers before yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Um, 76ers head coach in the Jimmy 90s. Jimmy. Yep. yep. Yeah, there, there he is. is. There he is. <laughs> is but, he still um, alive, Woods? Yeah, he does stuff. Um, he does stuff for the Sixers, I think, TV oh, broadcast these days. Nice. Yep. Yeah. Nice. Guy was a great player. Um, made made a few All Star games. Um, well known for his time with Phoenix, and then later he moved to Denver. Had some problems Walter, with drug Walter issues. Davis. Yes, Walter yeah. Davis. Yeah, Michael uh, Jordan. Very underrated. Him. Yeah, Not Jordan on the Bulls. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, okay, we've got these guys card a lot of times, Lee. All right. Um, Started off his career as a rookie with the Utah Jazz before moving to the Milwaukee Bucks. His mother called him this nickname ah, because when he was a Lou. baby, he Theodore. turned... Lou, yeah. Theodore. Yeah. Oh, the rookie card, Theodore. I've actually yeah. worn his jersey on one of the shows um, there, Lee. Was a ah, yeah. And of old Theodore Blue Edwards yeah. back in the day. Yeah. Okay, this is a beautiful All-Star West card, okay? Now, the only thing I can say about this guy is he had to wait to lose his virginity. Ah. AC Green. AC yeah. Green. The Iron Man. The Iron Man. Yeah. Nice. yeah, yeah Block yeah. and Barkley there, is it? Nice. Yeah. I remember those those All Star cards. He started. Right? He started yeah. in the All Star. Three Lakers wow. started in that All Star game there. Wow. Guard forward from the San Antonio Spurs. Six foot seven. Terry. Average, no. Average eighteen point six points and fifteen point seven in eighty nine, eighty eight and eighty nine. Ranked third in scoring and assists. For the Spurs, um, went to college at Georgia. He's the tenth pick in the '88 NBA draft. I'm speaking of what number? Doesn't even a forty something. Can't see it. Yeah. Oh, Willie Anderson. Willie Anderson. Oh, it is wow. Willie Anderson. Yeah, ah, yeah, right. Yeah, Willie's yeah. definitely got me covered here. I remember that yeah. as well. Yeah, good old Willie. Yeah, I, I yeah, okay. Big <laughs> Willie. Okay, rookie from the Cavs, guard. Um, he was the 25th pick in John Morton. The, John Morton. Sure. Yeah, wow. he played with Seton Hall with Gacy. Yeah, he, he did. He, he did, did, did too. He was on that he team. Did too. Yeah. Yep. yep. Another rookie yeah. card too. Nice. Yeah. Number 33, last card from the Seattle SuperSonics. Uh, 
drafted by Cadillac. Kansas City in 81, um, and played with Chicago, San Antonio, Portland, uh, Minnesota, Cadillac Williams. Nope. No? Oh, Cadillac uh, Anderson. No? Six foot ten, college at Oregon State. Um, Thirty-three. Yep. Started off at Kansas City, then went to Chicago, San Antonio, Portland, Minnesota, and Seattle. Every journeyman, then. All right. Yeah. Steve Johnson. Ah, Steve wow. Johnson. Yeah, wow. he was uh, an all-star <laughs> in '88, but he was injured. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez, I hadn't thought of that name. All-star, for a while. all-star with Portland in '88. Yep. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Where he averaged fifteen point four points per game. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, it's been amazing. Thanks so much, yeah. Steve, for giving up your time. We've had so much fun with you today. I guess, Robbie, do you want to just speak about where people can find us, follow us, all that jazz you usually do? Yeah, thanks, Wood. So, obviously, for those that want to follow us on Twitter there, we're at throwback.hoops. Um, Instagram, we're at throwbackhoops. Um, and look at our email address, throwbackhoopspodcast at gmail.com. Um, what about yourself, Woods? And then we'll go to, to Lee to finish yeah, it off. Yeah, so we, we really appreciate everyone who supports us through Patreon and our various channels. So just keep doing that. And uh, please download, rate, subscribe. We appreciate everyone's support. So, Lee, man, you've got a lot going on at the moment. You know, you want to know, we, our, our, our audience want to know where they can follow you, where they can find you, and, and where they can catch you on your world tours, all that. So maybe you want to give a little plug here, right? Yeah, yeah, just on uh, Twitter and Instagram as Lee Ellis and then on YouTube as uh, at Lee Ellis 76 is my channel there. So, yeah, same thing. Subscribe, like, comment, share, tell everybody you know and uh, come along for the ride. It's, uh, it's, all, uh, it's all happening in real time when I'm out on the road and uh, it's a lot of fun. I know, you know, like I say, people suggest ideas, whether it's a restaurant or a court or a, a place you've got to go and visit and I, uh, I take all of those suggestions and try to try to you know incorporate as many of them as i can so if you know anything or anyone in cape town or lusaka or nairobi uh hit me up i'll be happy to make any connection i can and uh, hopefully get some buckets have something to eat and drink and have some fun yep yep and if anyone from netflix is listening or watching this you know <laughs> exactly hit, hey, up, hit up lee ellis man hit up lee ellis all right it's been an someone honor, someone <laughs> must know someone who works at netflix or amazon <laughs> yeah. someone's like hey at least just message this guy talk to him ask him about uh uh his idea there someone's got to know <laughs> for sure Lee. like robbie said you know we feel like we've known you for a long time 11 years listening to you every day to actually meet you and chop it up with you it's been a pleasure so thank you so much once again um robbie any final yeah. thoughts yeah, look, definitely. Yeah, it's just been it's been really fun. Exactly right what you said, Woods. You know, we feel like we sort of know all about Lee. You know, we know names of the members of his family and all his travels and stuff, you know, from the podcast over the years. So, yeah, it's just been so great, um, obviously, getting to meet you today, Lee, and really looking forward to, to see what you do next. And we'll certainly be following the, the next lot of tours in Africa you're doing. Thanks very much for having me, guys. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, certainly the way to get me on a pod is to talk about old school ball and pop open an old pack of cards. So uh, <laughs> happy to come back on sometime down the road. We'd love that, Lee. Thanks to all our fans. Appreciate the support. Peace out. Thank you.